Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, hello and welcome to Weirder Hings podcast. We are, we are, well, we're alive, but we're recording this from Edinburgh. A very windy Edinburgh. An extremely windy Edinburgh. And uh, Edinburgh, if you don't know, is uh, Scotland's capital city. And uh, we're here to explore its weirder side. So what we thought we'd do is we thought we'd start off uh, from Edinburgh Castle. Because Edinburgh Castle is on an extinct volcano, a volcanic plug. And basically there's a street uh, called, uh, well, the Royal Mile. It's called the Royal Mile because there is a royal palace at the top, Edinburgh Castle, and at the bottom there's Holyrood Palace, another royal palace. So how about that? Two royal palaces at the other end of the street. Um, so, very, very quickly, what's weird about Edinburgh Castle? Well, it's been there for uh, a long time. Uh, just because you probably heard a wee bit about Robert the Bruce recently. Did you know, I just learned out recently, did you know why uh, Batman is called Bruce Wayne? Is it after Robert the Bruce? It is after Robert the Bruce. It is actually after Robert the Bruce. Is it actually really? Yeah, 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 it really is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, who's the guy that wrote Batman? Kane? Well, it was Kane? Bob Kane, but do you know what? Bob Kane actually had like a ghostwriter called like Bill Finger or something like that. And he said, and, and, and it was his influence, he says, well, he's fighting he's fight, fighting against uh, tyranny. He's like a freedom fighter, a hero. Robert like, the Bruce? Like Robert the Bruce. And that's why uh, Bruce Wayne's called uh, Bruce. This is why I like this podcast. We, we come up with wee nuggets of information like wee that. Wee nuggets. Yeah, so my favourite fact um, about Edinburgh Castle uh, the connected to Robert the Bruce is obviously um, uh, when back in uh, 1296 when the English invaded Scotland and they, and they took over all the castles um, basically uh, when Robert the Bruce became king of uh, Scotland in 1305 he started to take uh, Scotland uh, uh, back under control castle by castle but how he did this was basically um uh, remove the castle's fortifications, make them untenable as fortresses so that the English could retake them again. So what he did is he basically demolished um, Edinburgh Castle, but he just left one wee building, which is called St Margaret's Chapel. And, uh, the, and well, there you go, that's the reason why he didn't demolish it. He thought, well, I'm not, I'm not going to demolish uh, one of my uh, royal ancestors' um, uh, churches. It was built by uh, uh, Queen Margaret of Scotland, Saint Margaret, uh, uh, son, uh, King David of Scotland. So there you go. And uh, as you can hear, there's lots and lots of tourists in the background. Edinburgh, yes, Edinburgh is a very touristy, heavy place. So you will be hearing the real life sounds of yeah, Edinburgh. That's right. As we do this, wind, shouting tourists, and uh, and, and maybe if you're lucky later on. Maybe a hilarious alcoholic. Because <laughs> Edinburgh does have warn, We did warn people yeah. last week that this would happen. So. Yeah. Okay. So, um, 
so yeah, so um, the amusing thing about um, Edinburgh Castle is, is, is it's it's a tourist attraction, but it's still actually um, it, it's a royal palace, but it's also um, an army base. Uh, basically, um, a regiment used to be barracked there, not anymore, but basically they have their administrative headquarters there, and the, the head of the army in Scotland is also the governor of Edinburgh Castle, and, and the official residence is there. So um, basically, if, if, if you're a top top brass in Scotland uh, you get to live in a lovely Georgian house within uh, Edinburgh Castle as is your right. Now often as the case is these top soldiers don't bother but sometimes they do but my most amusing incident of that is one time uh, it coincided with this uh, like uh, either this uh, sort of brigadier general um, uh, his, his sons were actually going to Edinburgh Uni at the time, so, so instead of looking for Dougs, he went, oh, I could just stay there. So he had these, he had these, oh, wow. he had these students. Basically, their student Dougs was uh, this Georgian <laughs> a castle. Yeah, I imagine that guarded. being like I'm covering a, a student party. Yeah, get your matron. Guarded by armed guards. Yeah, yeah, Edinburgh Castle. So there you go. There are students. I've actually got. I just remembered. I've got a story. Uh, Edinburgh Castle there was a guy I know who was in the army. Uh-huh. Uh, and occasionally, from time to time, he had to guard Edinburgh Castle. I should do, yeah. And he says it was like, the most boring job in the world. Right. But they also like, carried like live guns and stuff like they that. Do. Like, yeah. And he says that one day, um, he was just like looking through the scope on his gun one day, and he says the the sight on the gun was so good that he could see into people's houses. <laughs> right. And he says he was watching a couple just having sex. That's a lovely story. And then story. he got his face. Like, it's really weird, that. isn't so it? So he had all these like soldiers when he's the scope of his gun, <laughs> looking at it, watching that he's having sex. So, so <laughs> citizens of Edinburgh know you are being watched over. Yeah. By your uh, like his finger never slipped and then somebody gets <laughs> shot in the house. Well, that's some way to die, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's that's some version of Cortis yeah. interruptus. But anyway, um, so so there you go. So that's um, Edinburgh Castle. Um, most of it de- um, uh, dates from obviously after Robert Bruce's time. But if you ever do go to Edinburgh Castle, it's a tiny wee chapel, and they only really rediscovered it much later because because it was an army base. They actually used it to store gunpowder. Yeah, yeah, for a long time. Um, so um, the only other nice story I like about Edinburgh Castle, Edinburgh Rock is is when the Angles the Angles those crazy crazy guys basically from the um, from what's now modern Germany started to invade um, the English shores Uh, the Angles invaded uh, Northumbria basically the north the northeast of um, England and uh, the local tribe here called the Godotten and they and they, they, who were essentially sort of like um, in Britons um, and they thought right let's go and batter those new angles and show them who's boss right so so they, they had like um, uh, they were all for um, the sort of uh, Britannic sort of Celtic culture was very much about bardic poetry and drinking and all that kind of thing so they had they had a banquet right and went right okay let's before we go to war let's recite all our great deeds and they got up in the morning and they felt a bit hungover so they thought oh we'll just we'll have we'll do another thing right so basically to cut a long story short they actually spent a year they actually spent a year drinking and, and feasting <laughs> Working up before they went to fight the angles, and um, you know, some other people might suggest you might spend your year more productively, maybe training, yeah, and uh, getting in shape, getting shape, maybe you know, a bit of combat drill or something. But no, they spent basically a year uh, feasting and drinking, and then they all went down to, to to batter the angles, and were funnily enough battered themselves and that is why the reason why I've gone into this story in such depth is that is the, is once the angles battered them is they came up here and they settled here and that's why that is why boys and girls Edinburgh is called Edinburgh because it comes from the uh, the German Edinburgh castle of Eden right Instead of what should have been is the Gaelic, which would be Dunedin, and that's why uh, Dunedin is called Dunedin in New Zealand because it's the Gaelic Scots version of Edinburgh. There you go. Fantastic. There you go. So anyway, um, does Edinburgh Castle have any ghosts? It does. It does have. It does. It has a few. Um, there's a part of the the castle that was for a while uh, used as a prison to actually house uh, prisoners of the Napoleonic Wars so French ships that were captured as the sailors would be 
dragged into Edinburgh and uh, locked up in Edinburgh Castle. And uh, apparently those parts of the castle are a bit spooky. There are other stories about guards and guards' duty. Obviously, not your pal, it was just perfect. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, it's so, so windy because because we're basically up, up the top of a hill. Yeah, on top of a Yeah, and we're, it's really exposed. Um, so what we'll do is we'll just go to the next, wee, the next wee spot, which is a little memorial fountain to those who uh, were killed. It's part of the sort of witch mania, witch panic. Yeah, we've spoken about this before. We have spoken about this before. Witchcraft. So we're actually, we could be sitting in a nice warm room doing this podcast, but we decided to come here live in the wind and the rain and the tourists to actually do this podcast. That's how dedicated we are to the cause. That's a very special addition in the podcast. We don't We don't even have a high-powered scope. No, no, no. We've barely got a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we are somewhere now, uh, which is slightly, <laughs> slightly less windy, uh, but it's still a wee bit chilly. That's Michael zipping up his wee jacket there. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, did you catch that? I did. I caught that eye. Um, so, aye, we're basically we're just off. Uh, we've, we've not walked far, to be fair. Um, we're just off uh, the Royal Mail, um, down a wee close uh, in Gladstone's Land. How about that? Um, I believe it's called Lady Stairs Close. Is it Lady Stairs Clo- Close? Okay. Um, so we've actually just noticed something before. I, before I actually go to talk about what I was going to talk about, uh, uh, Michael and I have just noticed uh, something that is completely new. It's rather fresh. It's just been erected here in November 2018, but it's a war memorial. And uh, the reason why it's here will become uh, clear. But it's the Scottish War Poets Corner. It's a, it's a war memorial to Scottish war poets and it was unveiled by Her Majesty's Right Honourable Lord Lieutenant and Lord Provost of City of Edinburgh, uh, Frank Ross, in November 2018. There you so go. Brand spanking new. Grand spanking new. It's a Celtic cross with a big sword which ends in a fountain pen nib. How about that? Oh, so it does. Yeah, so it does. Well some, spotted. There you go. Somebody thought about that. Um, so I, the reason why that memorial is here is because we're actually standing outside the Writers' Museum. Uh, now, Edinburgh, apart from being wonderful and famous for many reasons, is actually uh, UNESCO's first uh, world city of literature. <gasps> oh, why? Why so? Because it has uh, so many so many great writers. Obviously, um, Edinburgh is still uh, essentially Scotland's capital of publishing and the written word, whereas Glasgow's very much uh, TV and radio, all the media, all the tele showbiz stuff. But Edinburgh is the, the sober <laughs> and highfalutin literary capital of Scotland. Um, and anyway, we've got a writers' museum here that celebrates uh, pretty much three writers. So we've got um, uh, what's the one that used to Ivanhoe? What's his name again? Ivanhoe. What's the big thing that's in? Oh, um, um, the guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, uh, both our minds have gone completely blank. Walter Scott. Walter Scott. So it's so <laughs> Walter Scott. Um, Robert Louis Stevenson. Who's the third one? They've got three big displays Conan in there. Doyle? Is it? Is it? Could be. He Could was be. an Edinburgh writer. He was, yeah. But it might not be. Should we just, you know, let, let's sneak inside and see? Yes, yes, Robert Burns. Oh, Fuck's sake. Jesus what a couple Christ. of ideas. A couple of fuds. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. What a national disgrace. I was thinking, what's the three big writers, right? And I couldn't couldn't remember Robert Burns. <laughs> I was I was I was scratching about my brain for what's for Sir Walter Scott. I was going, oh, what's, what's that big monument down there? And uh, this will this will feature in the hilarious outtakes, yeah, yeah. right? But it's just like, ah, oh, yeah. And then and then eventually, oh, aye, it's, it's got three big names. What are they? Robert Burns. Robert. Yeah, there's a thing over there, it's Robert Burns. Yeah, oh, for the love of God! <laughs> what, what a fan dance! <laughs> right. Tell some don't like three of us sleep last night. No, oh. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm on a dick. <laughs> okay. And the reason we're here, <laughs> and the reason we're here because the the writers' museum is here, and it basically is dedicated to three of Scotland's uh, greatest literary uh, talents throughout the ages. We have uh, uh, in in historical order Robert Burns, Sir Walter Scott, and Robert Louis Stevenson. Now, uh, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson was um, writing sort of uh, the late Victorian period, and. Uh, 
he's most uh, probably most famous for uh, to this day for writing Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and you'll note that that is the actual original title of it because he was right for puns and he missed out the, def- defini- the definite article because that's the whole point Right. there is no definite article because uh, Dr. Jekyll changes to Mr. Hyde he does. Uh, in a kind of a fluid transient he was the original non-binary sus and, uh, yeah <laughs> no, he was female. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He he was. He was male, male. But he was just, you know, he was. He was non. He was non. Non. Non identity specific. How about that? Yeah. He was identity fluid. Yeah. There you go. He was an identity fluid uh, person. Yeah. Um, aye. So the, there's uh, there's thoughts that um, that that perhaps uh, a certain other notorious Edinburgh individual inspired him. But um, by his own um, account, it was actually he, he woke up after a nightmare, and and um, and instead of going, oh that, oh god, that was a terrible nightmare, he went, oh, I had a fine bogey dream, and basically uh, it inspired him um, to actually write Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and it's a, it's a, and, and note the pro- the pronounce is Doctor Jekyll. It was just it was it was a, it was Hollywood that got that bit wrong. It's Doctor Jekyll, not Doctor Jekyll, and it was it named. Uh, uh, and it was probably another pun based on the French, uh, 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 like J- J- French J kill I kill Mister Hyde. I know he's a wee bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it feels weird that we're, like it's like we're doing the podcast to a one audience member as you stand there watching. It's like we're performing for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My 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 other better half Penny has come along for the charity shops and uh, coffee. Is that a fair thing? Yeah, it's a fair thing. Um, chips and chips, yeah, chips and beer, chips and beer. That's what we're looking forward to. Edinburgh famous also for chips and beer. Chips and beer. Except you get salt and sauce in your chips. Oh, no salt and vinegar. Don't get me started in that filth. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, I, I think we've covered enough of that. Should we go and yeah. talk about the person that may have partly sort of inspired, um, uh, Doctor Jekyll. Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. And Mister Hyde. Okay. Okay. So, me and Ennis and Penny have came to Deacon Brodie's Close uh, in Edinburgh. Deacon Brodie is the gentleman who inspired the story of Dr. Jekyll. Kind of, right. uh, And Mr. Hyde, kind of. Uh, he was a prominent uh, Edinburgh businessman. He was a... They call the guys at Cut Keys. Locksmith? He was a locksmith. Uh, but there was a different name for it. I can't remember what it was. Um, and what he did was one night... He copied the keys for a bank, uh, went into the bank, opened up the safe, took out £800, which uh, by today's terms is about, I think it was like £100,000, it was some ridiculous sum of money, Um, locked the safe and uh, no one really noticed. No one really noticed. He got away with it uh, and he became very kind of flush with the cash and... He had this idea that he would. He was basically like the head of this like crime syndicate, uh, and he, he got people involved and stuff like that. And then it just it went on like a, a two or three year crime spree, robbing people. And um, eventually, they managed to find out it was him that was behind it all, and he got caught. Uh, and they got hanged or hung or hanged, was right, hanged down at the toll booth on uh, the 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 Royal Mile. And um, obviously, the sort of the the the, the Jekyll and Hyde element was he was a very respectable member yes. of the community. Yes. Um, um, but he was he was actually a secret crime lord. A, a deacon, no less. Yeah, a deacon. Yeah. And, 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 and we're actually recording in uh, uh, Brodie's Close. At the deacon Brodie's Close. And there's a wee restaurant down there now, so you're getting loads of people walking by, uh, looking at us, going, "What are they two crazy weirdo guys doing?" They can uh, enjoy enjoy a tasty and nutritious lunch while thinking about a criminal mastermind. Yeah. Um, and there's a wee statue as well, which we'll take a photo of and post. On the Facebook and the Twitter. Okay, fantastic. As well. um, so, yeah, that's uh, Deacon Brody who inspired. Uh, kind of. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde. Fantastic. Yeah. Right, onwards.
Oh, listen to that. Less windy and some fantastic crow actors that we paid yeah. to atmospherically sound spooky and honest. have not been edited in. So, we are in Grey Friars Kirkyard. Yeah, not only one of the most haunted places in Edinburgh, but probably the world. <gasps> oh, that's some claim. Uh, I'm just going to fill you in with a wee bit of uh, history gubbins, though, because although Greyfriars Kirkyard is more famous these days, probably, because of the ghosties, um, actually, Greyfriars Kirk, the church itself, is where uh, the National Covenant was signed in February of 1638. Now, the reason why that's important, and you might, oh, why is that important? Is basically, it was a lot of um, eminent Scots signed uh, a document called the National Covenant basically saying that the king had no place interfering with people's religion because uh, Charles I, although the son of James VI and the first of Great Britain, so basically um, the son of the Scottish king who was the first king of both England and Scotland, um, he tried to impose uh, a sort of Church of England prayer book on the Scottish Church and we were no happy about it. So you may have heard of the Civil War and, you know, Roundheads versus Cavaliers and all that kind of palaver. But arguably, and I do argue, arguably actually all started, it kicked off with the signing of the National Covenant. That was the first big major political... Yeah, can you beat this? Get to fuck, basically. Um, so even though um, a lot of Scots identified and supported uh, a Stuart king, Charles I, they weren't happy with his arrogant religious stance. Um, so there you go, That's it's, it's famous for that, the, the covenant. And uh, subsequently, covenanters, I suppose this is useful anyway because a wee bit of historical background, because... Um, uh, just down the grass market, that's where a lot of people, which is not far from here, a lot of people were executed. Uh, and prior to them being um, executed, they were held in prisons within this churchyard, within this courtyard. And uh, that's actually one of the sites um, where people experience the most spooky things. Yeah. Uh, and it's called uh, the Covenanter's Prison. Yes. And uh, this prison is actually open air. It's basically some walls. It never had a roof. Yeah. So, uh, these people who were imprisoned here um, basically had to live in the elements. Yeah, it was like it was like they were penned in like cattle or something, yeah. gar- guarded by uh, soldiers with pikes. Yeah, and the person who put them there was most famously known as George Mackenzie, who was a judge at the time. Right. And uh, I think we spoke about this before on the podcast. I think it was probably the first episode uh, where we discussed him briefly. Um, he was not a nice man and he would often uh, send people to the Covenanters prison. Um, now a while back I did a interview with a tour guide because there's just loads of tours in here. You know the ghost tours, uh, the jumper outers and stuff like that um, who come in here and I interviewed one who had claimed to have been attacked by the Mackenzie Portergeist, uh, and I'm going to play that interview. But before I do that, uh, just give you a wee bit of background on the actual um, what happens. Basically, the short version is uh, not far from the the prison is um, George Mackenzie's grave, his mausoleum, um, and in the nineties, a homeless man broke in um, to seek shelter from the cold Scottish winter night and uh, he broke in and ever since then um, the Mackenzie Portergeist has been uh, doing things to people uh, he likes women especially oh I see yeah and there's loads, loads of evidence um, of this um, but I'm going to let uh, a young girl called Chloe who's uh, a tour guide in this graveyard uh, explain to you what was happening So it starts off with the King of Scotland wanting to unify the religions. Um, uh, the Presbyterian Covenanteers, who were later put to death in the Covenanteers prison over here, um, were the ones to get the chop. Um, 
This was mainly at the hands of the Lord Advocate Sir George Mackenzie, who would later become known as Bloody Mackenzie. Um, he actually has a body count of 18,000 people. Um, so you can imagine the activity here and the recorded activity here is unprecedented. So the main activities recorded here started in 1998. Uh, a homeless man broke into the mausoleum uh, because he, he needed shelter and there wasn't any other option for him really. So um, he gets down into the mausoleum, there's a couple of floors so he travels down and he breaks a couple of the caskets. He doesn't think much of it because their caskets, you know, they're uh, not worth very much. He actually gets down to the level where Mackenzie himself is uh, buried. Um, and then he drops through a hole in the floor because it's unstable. Um, the hole in the floor actually uh, is a mass grave for plague victims. Uh, there are plenty of mass graves in Greyfriars. It actually has the highest density of dead people in the whole of Edinburgh. So, um, yeah, uh, mass grave underneath Mackenzie's tomb. Uh, he drops down into it all of these corpses that were very, very hastily shoved in and jammed in um, are exposed, really, and out he runs. He doesn't want to stay in there anymore, and I can't really blame him. Um, that is when they think that the spirit of Mackenzie, um, or whatever Mackenzie became after death, uh, broke loose. And uh, the tormenting and the attacks have been wild since then. It, it varies in severity, depending on who you actually are. Um, there have been groups which are targeted a lot more, for example, if you're a woman, um, if you're not religious, if you don't believe that Jesus is your saviour, um, you're likely to get attacked. Um, uh, if you are a person of mixed race, uh, mixed heritage, um, you're likely to get attacked. Um, if you're a white male, you're probably the safest. Uh, if you're a white male who believes in God and in um, specifically the uh, Catholic faith, uh, you're likely to be fine. But um, anybody else, and there is a heightened possibility for you. So we're looking at uh, burns, um, bruising, uh, a lot of scratches, mainly scratches. Um, there's a correlation between um, being female and being scratched. Um, if you're female, you're more likely to get a scratch. Um, so that's pretty scary, that's pretty scary. Um, before I started working on the official tours, um, I just took myself on little tours and I would go and explore Greyfriars and just the general area of Edinburgh because it is such a deeply historical place. Very, very fascinating. So um, when I moved here, I decided it would be a great idea to come up here at night, take a night bus and see what all the fuss was about. Um, so I was wandering about the graveyard for about an hour and a half. I'd um, bumped into a couple of ghost tours already and said hi and uh, creeped out some people. It was very, very funny. Um, but then I was on my own in the graveyard and uh, I decided, yeah, let's, let's go and see Mackenzie. Um, uh, the pressure in the air immediately dropped. Um, I wasn't prepared for this because I, I don't have an active belief in um, the paranormal but uh, you know I'm open-minded about it um, so I go up to the the doors and immediately the, the temperature drops uh, it's pretty cold already but it's a different type of cold you know um, it was an unreal experience um, I felt like my face was burning. It felt like everything was burning up. I felt like my throat was going dry. Um, like I was being choked from the inside. Um, as if there was a very, very slow burning flame just somewhere in my chest. Everything else was drying up. Um, and I, I couldn't deal with it. I had to back off. Uh, because it echoed um, so closely the account of the woman who was actually found passed out outside of the Mackenzie tomb um, quite near to when the activity became so prolific. So I, I just decided no, no, that's enough for me and, and left. And paranormal activity and paranormal investigation is actually taken fairly seriously here. Um, which is not the norm, definitely not the norm. So 
when you're working in the industry that I do, which is ghost tour, we're profiting off the spirituality and um, everything in between. Uh, it's quite hard to find an integrity there, especially in this city when the living and the dead are living together in such close proximity. Um, there are people who live right on the boundaries of Greyfriars, there are people who live right on the boundaries of the Canongate Kirk. Uh, there are so many places where ghastly events have occurred and people still inhabit it because this is the city, you know. Um, I don't think Edinburgh forgets. I don't think the land around Edinburgh was ever made to forget. We have the Arthur's Seat, which supposedly, allegedly, as many things are, uh, was the home of King Arthur, uh, the home of Camelot. Um, just this history which never really goes away and you can go into the city and you can pretend that you're in a metropolis you know you can go to the new town and uh, pretend that the past has no bidding on the future but it's just always all around you there's never going to be a time I think in Scotland where the past isn't going to be the most important part of the present. one of the most interesting things um, about uh, Greyfriars Kirk is obviously this the graveyard itself used to be outside the city limits um, and it was originally the, the plague pit for the, the, the city um, they put all the plague victims here um, and then it, Eventually, it became the city uh, cemetery, um, and it's also the final resting place of Great Fires Bobby, who was a wee dog. Um, when his owner died, uh, Bobby came to the grave and refused to leave the graveside. And there's a wee monument and a statue to Bobby. This is probably one of the most beautiful uh, cemeteries, graveyards uh, in the world. Uh, I love it here, and I love wandering about it. So myself and Innes have come over to the Covenanters prison and we can't actually go in because it's deemed so dangerous, <laughs> so haunted <laughs> that you, we can't, we're not actually allowed inside. They've no. actually put a padlock on the door because so many people were being attacked by the Mackenzie Portergeist. That's, that's the only reason. That is literally the only reason. No other reason. But uh, yeah, so we can't actually go in so we're just standing outside it. Um, anything you want to add to no, that? No? Nothing. Only, only that I've uh, I've been on a ghost tour here myself in the evening, and uh, uh, nothing happened to anybody there. But uh, but I, but there it was kind of big in the press. You know, the tabloids took up the story. I don't know quite a lot of people um, that, out of curiosity, attended the tours, um, and some of them had odd, unusual experiences. But famously, it was um, uh, people used to get. Uh, I mean, you just get scraped and scratched and that kind of thing, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, uh, apparently doesn't like uh, women. Yeah, I know that. It's often, more often not, that women that are um, victim of these attacks. Um, I came on a tour here myself, and the, you know, the seller is it's really serious, it's really, really haunted, it's, it's really dangerous. Uh, so we don't have like jump routers and all that. These people that jump out and go, <gasps> um, so we we're on the tour and we're in the in the prison and someone jumped, out, uh, and I was a bit disappointed by that. I thought it cheapened the experience. It's just money cheapens everything, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's exactly. That. So well, we head over to Mackenzie's um, tomb. Tomb. Okay. And an oil. Aye, let's do it. Let's see if we can get. Let's see if we can antagonise them. And get something at them. Some uh, some uh, live podcast ghost bothering. Yeah, I mean, th this is probably one of the most touristy places in Edinburgh because of the Mackenzie uh, Portergeist. So there's just loads of tours, and you'll probably hear them uh, while we're doing this. But uh, we'll try and do our best. Uh, also, um, 
uh, it's kind of ironic as well, considering the historical import of the church itself and the history attached, um, and, and, and the, the amazing stone carving. If you look at any photographs, there's some extraordinary stone carving. It's quite windy now. Um, but basically, uh, also, uh, oh, we're just walking into a tomb for some shelter here, so if any ghosts want to just chip in with a wee bit of... We have a bed for a patter than uh, we are guests. Um, people don't have any patter. That's what? <laughs> that's Edinburgh is. Anyway, um, basically, J.K. Rowling uh, nearby in a cafe called the Elephant House is uh, that was where she first uh, was inspired to write Harry Potter's, the Harry Potter books. And what happened uh, was uh, she looked out the, the window of the cafe and she saw um, this sort of private school uh, called is, is Fetz, Fetz Academy, Fetz, Fetz College or something, yeah, Fetz. And, and just thought, oh, I wonder what would happen if wizards went to that school. Because that's how she speaks. And uh, I'm sorry, JK. Um, um And uh, also she used to walk around this uh, graveyard for inspiration and uh, you can see some uh, hilarious characters' names. Apparently the the, the there's a gravestone in here that says Thomas Riddle, which of course we all know is Voldemort, he who cannot be named. So, so we are here. Uh, are the doors open? No, it's not. I thought the doors were open there for a wee second. So we're, ste- we're going up steps. <gasps> it's exciting. Uh, we're here, man. Oh my god. Mackenzie! It's dark. Are you in there? <laughs> that was good. Thanks. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke the microphone through the hole here. This is vaguely anatomical. Mackenzie! Uh, we don't think much of your prayer book. Right, there you go. That's that's, that's an opportunity there. Yeah, um, nothing happened. Anyway. Mackenzie! <laughs> anyway, by the magic of pausing, We'll see you somewhere else. Warmer. So, uh, myself and Innes have come to the White Hart Inn, which is one of the most haunted pubs in Edinburgh. It's, it was a reported uh, haunt for uh, Birkenhell. Um, we come and reportedly pick up some of their victims. So we're going to go inside and, um, and investigate this. So it's now extremely noisy, and we are now uh, clearly out of the wind, and we're now in the warm hospitality of the White Hart Inn uh, on the Grass Market in Edinburgh. It is Edinburgh's oldest pub, founded in 1516, just a mere three years after Scotland's disastrous loss of the Battle of Flodden. Uh, a period of change, but um, the White Hart's seen it all, and we're here with um, one of the bar staff, uh, Charlie. Hello, Charlie. Hi. So we're here because uh, we're obviously interested in the paranormal, and um, there's a few ghost stories attached to this uh, building, but we're especially interested in what you've got to say because you've got one of your own stories. Yeah, I do. So yeah, do you want me to start telling it now? Okay. So every night I have to cash up the till, so I have to take the till downstairs. And it's like a little bit of an office. It's like the it's downstairs is what used to be the bar is now half an office, half the where we keep all the liquor. And then one night I was downstairs, and then it's, there was a sound coming from the next door. It sounded like someone was like moving the kegs like taking them out and like moving them upstairs it was like pretty intense I was like so I figured like why are they doing this at like midnight and I went and nothing had changed at all nothing absolutely nothing and that's literally the story that's a pretty good story so how long have you worked here a year and a half and and um, so how long was it when you were working here until you had that experience uh, maybe six seven months I want to say yeah. And, and have you had another experience? No, uh, there's always weird noises and stuff like that, but it is a really old building, so you kind of expect, like, sometimes when I'm downstairs, I can hear noises upstairs and there's no one upstairs. But that's just like, that could just be the creaking floorboards or something like that. I remain a skeptic. Now, something that I've noticed, because um, I'm an old salt at this paranormal malarkey, is that it used to be that 
pubs didn't necessarily um, market themselves as having a ghost. But I noticed that um, you're now quite um, out and proud about having a, having ghosts on the premises. In fact, you've got um, you've got a, a chalkboard notice around the corner that says "Haunted Since Yet." Um, so, how much how, how much did you know um, about the history of the place um, before you had the experience? Uh, moderate amount. I knew that the Birkin here used to like come here and they chose a few victims here, I believe. Although I'm not sure if that's confirmed or not. Uh, didn't know a whole lot about the history, so... Do you know of any other um, stories Um. Well, my friend Connor, he always had used to nap downstairs. Like, like he'd go downstairs, have his break, and he'd just like lie on the desk and like have a sleep. And then, oh, he's on his break, so no, yeah. And then he, uh, one time he said, uh, he came upstairs and he was like, "Who kicked my chair?" And we were all like, "None of us. We we're downstairs. Like we're all upstairs." And then, uh, not a single person went downstairs. But he says he felt the chair, his chair that he was on, like get like moved really suddenly like that and he woke up. Could have been a hypnic jerk. It could be, yeah. Interesting. One of my favourite stories is associated with this building. I'll move the mic towards myself because it's so noisy in here. Um, but it was actually a chef that was downstairs and you've got these big uh, sort of uh, fridges with big swing doors um, and what he did was um, he was he, he was looking at a fridge obviously there's enough there was enough room underneath it just to see there was a gap and there was nobody else downstairs apart from him and he saw a pair of legs yeah there was a pair of legs but of course there's n nothing else just those legs so um, so that's I, I always quite like that story it's been hanging laundry that's so true and yeah it's, it's so much easier just to project legs, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, working here, um, does that make you more of a believer? Um, how, what did you think of the paranormal before your own experience? Or? Probably more of a skeptic, just because I'm asked about it every day by pretty much every customer. So, like, so I just like, yeah, I'm over it. Yeah, I was like, I hope there's a ghost. So, like, otherwise, it's a waste of my time. Yeah. And it's quite, it's quite a lazy ghost. Yeah, I've not had a lot of like seven months until it showed up. Yeah. Nothing since. Yeah. Oh, there used to be this girl that worked here called Daphne, and she wouldn't even count cash down in the cellar. She wouldn't go downstairs at all. Like if she had to get stopped, she would send someone else to do it. Because she like she would just get like full body chills like when she was down there all the time. Daphne was from Scooby Doo, though. Not that Daphne, unfortunately. This one's French. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you very much for your time, Charlie. No problem. And cheers. 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 So, um. Myself and Innes, um, and Penny, we are um, now going to head off to one of Edinburgh's most haunted locations. Not only is it one of Edinburgh's most haunted locations, but it's actually one of the most haunted locations in the world. Uh, it's been in many uh, a documentary, um, and it's... Uh, the Edinburgh Vaults. Now, uh, there's many different versions of the Edinburgh Vaults. Um, there's the Blair Street and the Nidra Street Vaults. They're all essentially part of the same uh, place, but they've been split up into several parts so that uh, several uh, different tour companies basically share them uh, and take tours um, down underground into these... Um, vaults um, and they are reportedly extremely extremely haunted so um, we've bought tickets um, and we're just waiting on the tour guide to come who's going to take us um, around uh, and show us um, the actual vaults themselves um, so you know we've asked permission to do this and it's been given um, but just be aware that there will be other people on the tour with us uh, so there may be some uh, noise obviously that we can't control and we apologise for that um, but please bear with us um, because this is a unique opportunity for us uh, to take the podcast uh, live to one of the most haunted locations in the world This is a little bit of background information where we're standing here this is actually a bridge that we're standing this is South Bridge I'm going to be taking you underneath the pavement right here, down to the vaults, down to the underground. 
when we get down there, I will give you a quick introduction of the of the history behind the place, essentially why it's there, what happened down there, and certainly why it is believed to be so haunted. We like to uh, follow me in this way. Now, um, and actually, I, I do need to explain basically what this place is, and really the sort of seeded and dark history behind it. Before we go through by, I, I do <coughs> I do want to quickly mention, you know, the paranormal side of things, the ghosty side of things. Like I said at the start of the tour, I don't make any of these stories up. And it goes the same with these ghost stories as well. Because they come from you guys, people on the tour reporting it to us. And as much as a skeptic as I am, I do find it interesting that the stories people come to us with, you know, we hear the same things again and again. Most commonly, when we go through by, there's a sense that you are being watched. Someone is standing behind you. Like, Turn around in there. <laughs> people have had sudden changes of temperature, very hot to very cold, seeing strange orbs or shadows move across. Well, amongst, amongst some other things, I will happily end. Uh, before I go on, guys, I actually want to talk to you a little bit about our most commonly sighted ghost. Our, that's a normal mix, don't worry. <laughs> our sort of most commonly sighted phantasm. Now, this figure that appears to people, it is described to us as a woman. Very, very poorly dressed. You know, wearing nothing but torn rags, long hair that covers her face, and incredibly skinny. Almost... Skeletal, in fact. So, uh, pretty much the exact opposite of me, if you can imagine. <laughs> and the thing that people see, well, you know, a lot of the time, it's just out of the corner of their eye, or maybe for an instant of flash. Or maybe, maybe they think they see something when the light's turned off, and then they turn the light back on again. <gasps> no, it's nothing. <laughs> um, also, something I want to quickly just point out is that we're not paying anyone to hide down here and jump out and go, ah, or anything like that. So if that does happen to you, and it's not me, punch him in the face. Okay? <laughs> you have my express permission. Um, <coughs> hope that never comes up in a court case one day. Um, and yeah, this this uh, this thing that people see, as I was saying, you know, a lot of the time it is just for a couple of seconds, or maybe out the corner of their eye, but we have had occasions where people have had a more prolonged inter interaction with this thing. And probably one of the most dramatic ones, that's why I like talking about it, is when we had a lady standing right here, just taking photographs of this bad left corner. Now at the time, the tour had just finished up, so she was the only person here, just by herself, and she sees this thing back there. And you know, at first, she's just a little bit confused. She calls out to it, goes, oh, who's there? But when this thing stands up, and she sees how strange and misshapen it is, you know, she is half gripped by fear, half gripped by simple curiosity. And when this thing head down starts walking towards her, coming closer, and closer until it gets uncomfortably close. You know, when this thing eventually stops, or whatever you want to call it, this ghost, this phantasm, when it eventually stops, and looks up into this woman's eyes. You know, when, when her eyes meet, it jumps right through her. And she feels this terrible chill run all the way through her body, and she runs out screaming. So, you know, you can probably imagine my colleague's surprise at the front door, you know, casually ushering people out, like, oh, hope you had a nice tour, you know, thanks for coming. And this lady comes running through, screaming her head off, you know. So my colleague, he does what any good colleague does. He basically chases after her. Imagine a man in, you know, full period costume chasing a screaming lady down the street. He does, uh, <laughs> he does catch up with her. He does find out the story. Well, of course. We're not sure if she was making it up or... You know, perhaps smoking the wacky tobacco or something like that. But it is the same story we've heard time and time again about this, this figure. This, this phantasm seen in this back corner. Now, we don't know who this ghost is or was or what have you, but we've affectionately nicknamed her Annie. We believe Annie's down here because of the most important reason why this place is considered to be so haunted. Because of the witch hunting. Now, the witch hunting in Scotland, 
one of the darkest chapters in our history. I mean, it's really up there with stuff like the Opium Wars <laughs> and the Highland Clearances. Really, really nasty stuff. And, and I don't want you to judge Scotland based off these next stories. Every country has a darker side of history. Some are actually a lot worse than others. England! Um, <laughs> oh, I've got a bad throat today. Um, but yeah, the witch hunting in Scotland, it, it can only honestly be described as evil. Do any of you guys know the first step in finding a witch? Very, very simple. You can practice at home with a loved one, husband, wife, whatever. That's probably the reason why I'm single. First of all, you let your hand go limp. That's the most important part. And then you go, you're a witch! <laughs> and there we go, we found ourselves a witch. You're obviously not a witch, you're just standing in front of me. Um, and if that method wasn't scientific enough for you, then we'll take your hands, tie them to your legs, and we'll throw you in the closest lake. Remember in Edinburgh, this was the North Lake, an open sewer. And if you sink to the bottom and you drown, well... Congratulations, you're not a witch. You, you, you are very dead, if you're wondering. You'd actually often, though, find husbands holding their wives underneath the water with a large pole or stick, just to make sure that they drowned. Not because they hated them, it's because they loved them. And they wanted to protect them, they wanted to protect themselves. It wasn't just women who were accused of witchcraft. It was anyone who seemed to be consorting with a witch, anyone in league with a witch, and it was all punishable by death. Now, the worst part about this witch hunting is the people that people that did it during the worst times of the witch hunting, they were being paid to do it. And paid by commission per witch. So once you've dragged this person out of the water, you have all the motivation in the world to take them and torture them mercilessly. Until they give them a confession saying, Yes, I am a witch, and you know, so is my next door neighbour, so is my brother, my sister, whoever. Just so these witch hunters can move on to them next, kill them, get paid again. A lot of the torture took place down here. In the underworld. Sort of. Why? It's believed to be so. Huh? Probably. It's, it's just, just Penny, going, yeah. are you sensing anything? We're now, we're now interviewing Penny to see if Penny... My hair moved. <laughs> <laughs> My hair moves from here to here. Wow. Just just to describe that properly, um, Penny talked about her hair moving from behind the shoulder to in front of the shoulder. And there's no rational explanation other than she moved her head. Yeah. Oh, that would be the tour guide back. Right, so Michael's, Michael's going in. Annie? Annie? Yeah. I'm not your daddy. Annie, how you doing? I'm looking for an Annie. Michael McCann, paranormal investigator, was last heard of in 2019. He has never been heard of since. So just to give you a physical description, it's basically, it's uh, it's a chamber which is perhaps three and a half metres wide by maybe about 40 metres, uh, so quite a sort of... Um, it's, it's like a sort of a corridor with a with a with a semicircular uh, ceiling, and um, it's maybe about just about two meters high at, at its highest. So yeah, with various chambers going off to the side. I apologise for the sound quality. So yeah, this uh, this chamber is about three and a half meters wide by um, about forty meters uh, long, I think, and um, about two meters high um, at, at its highest. Thank you.
I don't, I've got I've got stinky drips in my hair. That's all right. We've always stinky drips now. So um the same thing happened and look at my hands. My hands are not in front of it. There's a, there's a big fucking red uh, thing. I can uh, I can report that um Penny Sharp is actually taking photographs. Look at my hands. Yeah. Fingers are not in the way. Yeah, she's taking photographs. Fucking big mad red. Yeah, it's it, it, the right canvas work is that like reflecting Is there a big red thing right at the bottom again? Seriously? Totally. Is there a big red smear on the actual camera though? Yeah, you checked the... You checked the lens? No. Alright. So let's do that then. That's weird. It's crazy. Oh! It's like shining in my eyes. So, um... I'm thinking... Yeah, that red makes me bright enough that it would... So what we'll do is we'll put up a. Should, should we put up a link or, yeah, or yeah, on our Facebook page or something? Twitter on Facebook. Yeah, Twitter like on Facebook. yeah but there is there is there are red red lights in here though. There's red lights in here, but, but I don't know why. Could you take fine, Could you take photographs of behind you as well of the red lights? So yeah. You can see. Yeah, take photos of the red lights. Actually, called a live photo shoot. Yeah. Okay, maybe that came out. That came out with the red blouse, but not as much. Not, not as much. So maybe be connected to that, that red light there. Yeah. I think what's happening is I think that red light is just bouncing off the moisture here, and it's going to the camera. I think that's what's happening. Right, shall we go? Okay, so um, this is our our, our debrief. So uh, myself, Innes, and Michael, and Penny, we are sitting uh, in a pub, a different pub, uh, still in the vaults. So um, so yeah, just to just to sort of tie it all together is the South Bridge. Uh, is basically built on um, uh, 19 arches and within these arches you have all these different uh, chambers stone chambers rooms etc and many of them are now uh, pubs uh, so we were taken into um, some vaults we've not actually been in before and um, we've both been to some Edinburgh vaults before on ghost tours but actually um, this cityofedinburghtours.com uh, those are the vaults owned by them so what did you think guys? Uh, I thought they were really good. What was our tour guy's name? John? John. Right, so big shout out to John. Big uh, shout out to John. Because he allowed us time to uh, mull about at the end, which was quite cool. Because obviously when we were recording the podcast, there's other people on that tour. Because the only way we get access to it is by going on that tour. So uh, there's obviously some background noise, people shuffling their feet and coughing and stuff. So sorry for that, but it was a real life uh, thing that was happening. In the same way that we're recording in the back of our Edinburgh pub, yeah. uh, underground. Because uh, it's real, man. With a funk band. Yeah. Sound checking in the background. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought it was interesting. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily uh, think that was the most paranormal experience of my life. Uh, I don't think it was paranormal at all. Yeah. Uh, I think you, you, what you do is you go into these places um, hoping that something might happen and uh, something almost certainly will not happen. Um, but you never know. Um, we, we took we took photographs and we've been recording it. Maybe there's a, somebody going, you know, in the background yeah, no, all the time. No, until we check the audio. Yeah. Um, and then realise this whole trip's been a disaster because of the sound quality, the wind, and the bands. Oh, uh, yeah. But you know, this is this is a podcast. This is real life. This man. is a podcast. It's got not out from behind the this mic. Isn't, this, yeah, absolutely. This isn't this isn't proper grown-up radio. This is street punk podcasting, yeah? Yeah, this is, this is hardcore alcohol-fueled podcasting. Oh, that's right, yeah. So thanks for tuning in to this very special 
uh, and it's certainly special uh, episode of the Weirder Things podcast, oh, live. 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 Live when it was recorded. Yes, from Scotland's capital city. A live taping, that's what they meant. A live say. taping. A live taping. Yeah. Um, they're getting a full floor now, so uh, we'll see you, or you'll hear from us. Maybe in the future not been cancelled <laughs> okay right thanks very much tune in next time bye bye <laughs>